welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Hi, this is Jed Hall, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm an academic development consultant at the University of Leeds. My specialism is research impact, and all of the episodes that relate to that you can find through a playlist, which I'll put in the show notes. Today, I'm joined by Kirsty Mitchell, external communication and communications and campaigns manager. That's really hard to say, Kirsty. You need a different job title. It is a bit of a mouthful, <laughs> isn't it, Jed? Sorry about it that. Is. But you, I thought you coped with that admirably. <laughs> and Dr. Jim McQuaid, associate professor of atmospheric composition. And I'm talking to both of them today about the university's new podcast series called How to Fix. But listeners, as you know, before we dive in and understand a little bit about the topic, we like to understand a little bit about the people because it's people who generate research culture, which is what this podcast is all about. So, Kirsty, I had a look at your LinkedIn profile and there's quite an extensive history of being a, a journalist, a broadcast journalist, both on TV and radio. So I was really, I, I guess you probably get asked this question all the time, but what was the favourite story you covered in all that time? And uh, is there a blooper you're happy to share with us? So a favourite story, that that's a tricky one because unfortunately in my sort of 30 plus years as a journalist, most of the stories that I covered were quite grim um, and revolved around fires or murders, um, that kind of thing. So favourite is a difficult um it's a difficult one to tackle. I've done some strange things. So I seem to veer um, from doing grim stories one day to doing stories about skateboarding dogs or something similar the next day. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so some of the really weird things that I've done um, for television uh, have been, well, I did the world's first indoor bungee jump well, up north at Magna, you know, the steel centre in Rotherham. Um, it was very, 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 very high up. And I had to sort of jump into this dry ice. And there was an awful lot of screaming, uh, none of which was edited out. Um, so <laughs> that, that was interesting. I've done, I've done aerobatics um, in a little biplane, well, um, up north as well. Um, and the bit that you didn't see off camera afterwards was the bit where I was very sick. And uh, speaking of feeling sick, the other one of the other things that sticks in my mind was was having to eat tripe also on television. Um, but definitely not in the favourite category. But the story I think that I was involved with, which had the most sort of impact and which has stuck with me even to this day is a programme that I produced because having been a reporter, an on-screen reporter, I decided I wanted to have a go at producing. And um, one of the last things I did was produce quite a hard-hitting um, episode of Look North about child sexual exploitation in Huddersfield. Um, and, you know, we spoke to relatives of some of the victims. And, yeah, it was... Um, it, it was... It was uh, 
pretty pretty uh, grueling, but but it was a story that very much needed to be told, and it had been something that had been going on for decades. And then then a court case happened, and people were found guilty, and we were able to to tell the story. So that's the one that sticks with me, I think, and that the team um, of which I was a, a part. Um, we were lucky enough to get a Royal Television Society Award for that one. So that's the one that sticks with me. But it's definitely not in the favourite category. It's mm. perhaps the one, perhaps the one that had the most impact. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's really important to know, isn't it? That the stories are the important thing, and and you get out of the way. But I just wanted to congratulate you on not swearing when you were uh, when you were bungee jumping, because yeah, I think <laughs> I think I would be. Um, with my head for heights, which is non-existent, Jim's is very different. He does all, used to do a lot of climbing, didn't you, Jim? I did, uh, yes. Um, yeah, but mine, mine would definitely be generating a lot of swear words that would need to need to be taken out. Um, so, Jim, um, there's quite a few stories that uh, that I could tell about our undergraduate days together, but shall we leave that to the hidden days of the pre-social media age that's, that's probably a sensible thing and thank you for cons- that consideration <laughs> yes well i think you'd probably get me back if uh if i did drop something you weren't happy with um but i know after your degree you did a lot of work in the music and events industry not least working with utah saints so is there a favorite story that's also clean <laughs> that you can tell us from that uh from that time I, well, there, uh, there, were, there were a number of different, uh, I did it for two years after I uh, graduated and um, there's, there's, a, there's a range of them, some of which are uh, uh, more interesting uh, than others. But um, I, we, uh, quite early on, we toured with, uh, toured America with a band called The Shaman. It was the first time I'd actually been on an airplane when I got asked uh, if I wanted to go to uh, New York. So, um, and after a few dates um, uh, of going around uh, the US, um, the shaman had a a wardrobe um, uh, manager, uh, Louise, and it was just after uh, Ebony's Good, if people remember that song, was uh, number one in the charts, uh, a very infamous uh, record. Um, And... Um, in the video, there was a character called Ebenezer Good. Um, but there, Louise came up to me and said, um, ask me if I fancied being Ebenezer Good. So this was actually putting a cape and top hat on and coming on stage for the last, uh, for the song. Um, and I would uh, distribute uh, sweets and tricks and things like that into the crowd uh, as the lyrics of the song suggested so um and that's the probably the most bizarre thing it means uh, very little to the students that i teach now um so i tell them to ask their parents if they've heard of the shaman and ebenezer good um but that, that's probably and i and i ended up um uh featuring in the face magazine um so that that was a, a bit of a claim to fame because it doesn't exist now but it was a very uh fashionable uh it was it was a hip magazine in them days i i, I guess you'd call it but uh and uh they sent me a photograph so i've got a a photograph of myself dressed as this 
uh, dressed up as Ebenezer Good. I'm not really recognisable uh, unless you actually uh, know me quite well. Uh, and this is there is there is no video evidence of this that I'm aware of. So this does not exist on social media. Um, so I have a, a photograph to actually prove it. So, but uh, yes, that was that was probably the uh, the most interesting one thing that I got asked to do. The absolute bliss of the period before smartphones, isn't it, Jim? It was, there's, yeah. there's no video evidence of, uh, <laughs> of things going on. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you both for that. Um, so, Jim, you were one of the panellists on the first episode of the podcast, and I'll, I'm going to come to you to have a chat about that uh, in a minute. So the first episode dropped on the 3rd of October, and um, and we're four in, aren't we? One one actually released today. Um uh, and that first episode was how do we clean up our air? But Kirsty Jim told me when I when I found out about uh, the podcast that uh, the idea had come from kind of your direction. So could you tell us uh, how the kind of idea came about and and why? Yeah. So I work for a team which is called the External um, Communications and Campaigns Team. Um, we're sort of one arm of um, what used to be known as the Media Relations Team. And our job is to, to shout loud about the research that's going on um, in the university um, and do that via as many different channels and outlets and reach as many people as, as, as we can. Um, and we're always looking for new ways to do this. And um, I came from a, a background in broadcasting, as we just talked about. And um, it struck me that Although there were lots of little sort of ad hoc podcasts going on within various faculties at the university, that there wasn't really one that um, was aimed more at an external and general audience. And I only joined the university a year ago, but it didn't take me long to realise that, you know, there were some incredible things going on. And... Um, not only that, but it began to strike me, uh, strike me after a, after sort of a month or two that there were sort of various researchers, you know, like Jim, um, in in different faculties that were all working towards a common goal, um, and I thought it would be really good to try and showcase that and to bring some of these people together to talk about those common goals and how their sort of individual efforts might help to solve some of the issues that they were tackling. Um, so I went to my boss and said, please, can I have some money? And <laughs> he said, yes. And, um, uh, and that's how it started. And then I had to sort of sit down and think, well, well, what are the themes that we want to talk about? What are the, what are the, the huge issues that we are facing as a society um, that I know that we are doing great research on and which would also resonate with a with a general audience? And it sort of, it went from there, really, and there were lots of emails flying to and fro, um, you know, where I sort of... Um, would sort of approach one academic and say, I know you're doing work in this area. What do you feel about doing this? And 
you know, do you think that this other person might be a good fit for it as well? Or can you think of any other person who might be a good fit? And so sort of between us, I would start the ball rolling and we would have these sort of online conversations. Um, and then people like Jim would say, ah, oh, yes, but what about this person? And it probably hadn't occurred to me. And and, and that's how it came together. Mm. And, and in terms of uh, the topics, how did you decide to kind of zone in because the university has a incredibly wide range of, of of research going on you know we often we often talk about it internally we actually offer a wider range of programs at undergraduate level than the oxfords and and cambridge of of this world so yeah how did you how did you kind of narrow down to kind of decide on the on those first eight for this season well some of it um was around, you know, thinking about the university's objectives and um, some of it was obvious because, you know, climate change, net zero, um, obviously we have to talk about that. Some of it was more organic. Um, So the one about violence against women and girls, that really came about because I had been involved in a big campaign um with Anna Barker and her team in the School of Law um around her research into um safety in parks for women and girls um so I was already working on that and thought well this would actually be a really good subject um for this and I was aware of what Sam Lewis was doing also in the School of Law um, around domestic abuse and and particularly you know, domestic abuse in more rural areas, uh, and then it, it suddenly occurred to me that it might be nice to to reach out to Alison Lowe, deputy mayor for policing and crime, um, and and she was thrilled to take part because if you listen, you'll hear that she's not only speaking from her own lived experience, but she she can tell us about the policies that are either already in train. Uh, here in West Yorkshire, or that she and Tracy Brabin are are planning to roll out in the very near future. So it was kind of, it came together like that. Um, it was a number of different factors that, that you know, that arrived where we, you know, before we arrived at the final seven, actually. Yeah, sure. Seven. Oh, the seven. seven. I thought there was going to be eight. <laughs> seven <laughs> okay that's good good clarity I'll, I'll i'll take it out of my diary for that final eighth <laughs> um jim you've done a load of media work over the over the years you've been an academic after your utah saints period <laughs> so um i just wondered what uh what you were hoping to achieve out of being part of this uh this this particular episode and you were one of a panel of three uh talking about uh fixing air quality and and uh and, and cleaning up air yeah so when uh Kirsty got in touch you know i was uh you know very uh keen to be involved and actually draw from other people that we have on campus so uh my colleagues uh james tate in the institute for transport studies uh which is in the same faculty as uh, my school which is earth and environment and also Kath Noakes, who's in civil engineering, a different faculty. Um, so uh, because we have uh, different areas of expertise um, and it all because because air quality is a, or air pollution is uh, 
a very complex topic. Now, if you talk to any academic, they are going to say that whatever they do, no matter what it is, is very, very complex. But to tackle air pollution or air quality truly does require uh, a multidisciplinary uh, approach to it. So um, from Kath's perspective, she looks at uh, most of her work is on indoor air. Uh, and most people think about, you know, don't realise that we spend on average, the average person spends between 80 and 90 percent of their time inside. So indoor air is, is very important. And uh, Chris Whitty's, uh, the chief medical officer, uh, his annual report last year was about air quality and um, included a, a section, uh, a chapter on uh indoor air quality his his book was his report was uh, air quality uh both indoor and outdoor um so we have to think about ventilation is 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 outside air is it more polluted less polluted things like that when we talk about air quality we're not just talking about um things out the back of vehicles we're also talking about um people having candles air fresheners and things like that but also mold so damp uh, will impact air quality and we saw that tragic story of the two-year-old last year who who who, who, who sadly uh, passed away uh, due to the damp conditions in his house um, but there's also, also things about uh, traffic uh, the, the 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 popularity of domestic burning or secondary heating um, is a significant source of pollution so and that that's showing that it, you know that's changed in recent times, as people have, uh, you know, moved uh, the aspirational uh, desire for people to have uh, wood burners, log burners in their house, um, the changing types of traffic we have. But if you go to an electric vehicle, an electric vehicle still has brake pads. Brake pads, when applied, produce particulate uh, materials. So that's not going away. Um, vehicles have tyres, whether they're, they're in internal combustion engine or uh, an electric system so the tires still produce particles so and, and you know it just illustrates the complexity uh of this so um and certainly in leeds we have a lot of people coming in from the, all, all the different areas to talk to each other so we um we 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 talk together quite often and there's been a number of uh, quite large proposals have been put in from across uh, the university and then, you know, the, the desire to, you know, be engaged in a podcast was um, to make a lot of this a lot more accessible to people. So, you know, research output traditionally is judged on papers in uh, esteemed learned publications. Um, but the readership of that is very, very small. So uh, and generally you write a paper and you, you will know a fair few of the people who read it. But when it comes to topics like air pollution, you know, the people, the important to me, you know, the most important people to understand about air pollution are the public and how they can how they can uh, they can tackle it themselves. Can they tackle it themselves um, about supporting um, why clean air zones are good things? The ULES, for example, very controversial. Uh, you know, in, in London, but actually illustrating just how many people die or their health is deteriorated through air quality. Um, you know, in the UK, a lot of people will say, you know, we've got to, we, we've got to think about 
you know, elsewhere uh, around the world that's producing a lot of pollution. But if we see ourselves as uh, leaders, you know, we should be, you know, telling people uh, some, uh, you know, home truths about the air quality. And air quality also affects people locally. So um, I'm involved in a project in Bradford uh, as part of the, the Born in Bradford cohort study. And they've been following um, over 13,000 children since they were born, tracking their health, uh, their diets and things like that, just to see how they've been, you know, as, as they grow up. And they've they've recently, the first cohort of them have gone into secondary school. Um, but they did a study, uh, it's, it, it's a few years ago now, but um, they they came to the, the results were the fact that of uh, a third of primary school asthma cases in Bradford were caused by air pollution. So when you actually start saying that to teachers, to parents, they start to sit up and listen that actually they are contribution contributing to the air quality and thus the health of their own children. So when we were at school, it was only when I was at school, someone with asthma was a bit of a novelty. Now, no, no, no you know, not, not trying to, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, asthma's a serious disease, but there weren't many people. Uh, now, you know, I, I, I suspect there's not a class in the country, in any school across the country, where there are not uh, at least one case of asthma. You know, this is increasing. This is on the increase now. Um, and, you know, we, we have the power to actually inform people to turn our scientific data into something that's consumable, accessible to the general public. Not to talk about concentrations in, I would talk about concentrations in micrograms per cubic metre, which means, you know, we did uh, a degree together, Jed, so, mm. you know, you're nodding your head, uh, but to the to most people that means absolutely nothing. But if you take a map and you show levels of pollution, you turn it into smiley faces and gas masks, you know, people start to sit up and listen and they, and they know what that means. So, and giving people the ability that they can control, especially in the domestic environment, they can control the air that they're breathing. I think is a, you know, we, 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 we are, you know, it's, we, we, we should be telling people this and not just keeping it, uh, in the realms of these peer reviewed journals, but actually getting out and telling people in podcasts, you know, talking to people going into, I uh, talk to schools and things like that, just to get the message across to people uh, in a, in a format that they can understand. So people talk about it on the bus, in the pub, at the sports centre, these sorts of things, so they can understand it. Yeah, I, I love the in the episodes I've listened to, especially especially yours, Jim. Um, you know, all the really easily actionable um steps that people can take. So it isn't relying on the system to change or the government to implement something. It's actually something I can change from today going and, and forward. That, that was one of that was one of mm. my goals really it's almost we have a saying in the media industry that it's kind of news you can use well it wasn't news but it's kind of almost views you can use or research you can use so that that was what was great about the academics like Jim and James and Kath you know in that one you know there was real practical advice yeah that people could take away it made me think there was something I think it was James that said it in the one about air quality, 
about doing short journeys in your car. And it hadn't occurred to me that actually that's one of the worst things that you can do because, uh, <laughs> you know, you, your engine, I can't remember how you put it. Um, I'm, I'm sure you would put it much better, Jim, but, you know, basically um, the filters and the things that sort of stop all the pollutants going into, into the atmosphere are just not working properly. So if you just sort of nip down the road to pick up, I don't know, half a pound of sausages or whatever from your local shop and you go in your car, that's one of the worst things that you can do. And I've actually now made a conscious effort to, you know, to not do that, but it hadn't occurred to me before. Um, so that's one of the great things about it. And, and I think throughout the series, our researchers have done an excellent job in explaining what what can be really complex research in, in a very accessible way. And, you know, I really do applaud them for that because that was a big ask of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you you mentioned uh, one of the things that, Jim, you made a really eloquent um, argument for it needed all three of you and probably even more people's expertise to kind of really solve the issue with, uh, with the air that we breathe. Um, how important was it to kind of delve into the kind of teamwork aspects of uh, of the different research going on and, and kind of have those different voices? Kirsty, I'll, I'll come to you and then, Jim, if there's anything you want to say in addition. Well, it was really important because I, I wanted to showcase how our researchers are working together towards common goals. Um, and they're not just sort of sitting, you know, in, in their labs on their own, um, trying to do their work single-handed because it can't be done, not when you're dealing with something as complex as air quality or getting to net zero or um, trying to find some way, uh, some kind of cure for cancer or at least improving the outcomes for people with cancer. Um, One person can't do that alone. And um, so it was important to show how how our academics are working together. Um, and that was one of the, the key messages that I wanted to get out there, that there are these sort of um, these common themes that um, that everybody's working towards. And it is interdisciplinary and it does involve different schools and different faculties. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think. Um, I think we've definitely done that. Mm. Yeah. Jim, any thoughts on that one for you? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it's interesting because thinking back to the original conversation um, that uh, I had with Kirsty, so um, there, there was myself and James, but we didn't want to complicate it by having two people with the same name. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually suggested Kath initially and I think because, you know, Kirsty was a little bit uh, uh, dubious about it because she was actually thinking about Catherine indoor air quality ventilation uh, article because there, there are people think about them being a, a lot more separate because you, you've got the indoor ventilation, um, in particularly with COVID, you know, Catherine masses and masses yeah. of work. I wanted COVID. to think about Casper Fuel Poverty one, Jen. Yeah. That's what it was. And actually, she could have sat in on either of those panels, yeah. I think. But yeah. So, but I, I said, well, if you're talking about air quality, indoor and outdoor air quality are, are, are the same thing. You shouldn't really separate them. 
Um, and I, I, I'm actually part of the, uh, the Leeds City Council Air Quality and Human Health panel. And they had the same question about, should we have another panel for indoor air? And I said, no, it should be the same people sitting, because if you, you, you're predominantly going to get the same people sitting in the room. So why not just tie them together? And it's interesting what you said about uh, Kath and um, the fuel poverty, because, uh, and this is the way, this is the way conversations and networking happens. So on the corridor in uh, Earth and Environment, I have a colleague in this, our Sustainable Research Institute, uh, uh, Lucy Minimus, and she looks at fuel poverty. Mm. Um, and for years now, um, when she comes in in the morning, she'd walk past my office, she'd wave, we'd come in, we'd have a conversation. And we'd always say it'd be really good to get a project together. Because they are linked, you know, there are there, there is some very interesting links there. But we have just had a PhD student starting on this exact subject. And the other supervisor is Kath Noakes. So uh, so there's this you, you can you can see there's this there's this. You know, wide selection of people across campus, but, you know, what they bring together by actually talking to each other and that sort of thing is huge. I, I, I'm actually, and because when I'm measuring uh, the instruments we use to measure air quality are measuring aerosols. So I've done a couple of projects uh, directly related to COVID uh, with Kath looking at, you know, aerosols from masks, you know, how effective are, are, uh, are masks. And also another one um, using a technology called um, uh, far UV. So this is ultraviolet light at a specific wavelength. Mm. Um, so for anybody out there, 222 nanometers. So this is this is quite high energy ultraviolet light, but it kills microbes. So you can see the obvious uses for that. However, it does uh, it does lead to the formation of uh, ozone in the atmosphere which high levels of which are, are, are not, you know, are not uh, uh, healthy. But in some environments where killing microbes is very important, such as a hospital setting, this might be something that's put in place. So, again, this is these, these are just conversations that we have in passing. You know, I, oh, I don't suppose you know anybody who can measure ozone, said Kath. And I said, well, I can. So there's 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 all these sorts of things, you know, coming together. And that's just by the network of, you know, what we kick off by just knowing each other and these uh, just having conversations, random or seemingly random conversations in uh, in corridors and things like that. So it just shows the, you know, the, how, how things are so interconnected and it's sometimes very difficult to split them out into two different podcasts and when I, when I said um I didn't have to make a very uh, hard pitch to uh, Kirsty to actually combine myself James and Kath it, you know as soon as I said it it was like that that that's that's an obvious uh, obvious thing to do because it brings across and also it brings across uh, from different faculties so it's not just people in the same faculty but you know you know engineers chemists and transport people uh, you know, talking together and ultimately after the same, you know, goal of just informing people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
And you mentioned uh, a little early the accessibility, and you know, there was an in, you know a question for me. We're we're running a podcast here, Kirsty. You mentioned there's lots of podcasts kind of hosted by the university, but not one kind of almost central um, central one that kind of gives a big presence to the university. So so it's just interested in terms of that accessibility angle. Can you say about a little bit more about how? important that is uh, to the two of you um and i guess one thing that that is always playing on my mind being a research impact evaluation geek is okay if it's really accessible sometimes that can make it very difficult to assess the effect it's having so how many people might have taken up those those actions, those small steps that they can change about their behaviour. Um, so, Kirsty, I'll come. I'll come to you um, in terms of how you're thinking around that, and, and in terms of the accessibility uh, and that evaluation piece. So, yeah, when I started on this journey, I had to think quite hard about who um, who was going to be aimed at, and um, really, I kind of wanted to. To, to aim the podcast at anybody and everybody. Um, you, you can't really do that. You need to have some notion of which audiences um, you want to listen. So I, I was thinking along the lines of what other academics, I was thinking about other higher education institutions. Um, only today, um, we've, had a, we've had a great um, sort of repost and quote tweet from the Russell Group um saying if you're looking for your next podcast listen to this one uh that being how to fix which is great because um hopefully other higher education institutions other russell great universities will will now have a look at what we're doing and might want to follow suit and that you know when i drew my kind of plan of you know what would success look like that was one of the indicators um, so if other universities start to look at what we're doing and how we're doing it, that would be great. But also, you know, I wanted to to try and get it under the noses or, or get some of the decision makers, uh, the policy makers to listen as well. So I've been working with policy leads and they've been um, sharing the podcast and sharing some of the policy takeaways from those podcasts with um, West Yorkshire Combined Authority, with Leeds City Council, with Bradford Council. Obviously, some of the points that came through in, in Jim's podcast are very relevant to all three of those organisations. But I've been sort of, um, you know, working away behind the scenes as well and trying to get it under the noses of some of our MPs as well. Some of the MPs who sit on, um, you know, relevant all-party parliamentary groups or uh, select committees. Um but as well as that, I thought, well, it would be useful for students. Uh, so some of your students, Jim, maybe some of the CAS students, some of the PhD students that you were talking about, some of the undergrads um, in Earth and Environment or in uh, EPS um, would be interested to hear the sort of, um, you know, how, you know, the different approaches are coming together to tackle some of these subjects. But then, but then just, you know, the average person on the street as well. So as I mentioned before, you know, some of the, some of those practical steps that people can take. Um, so how will we measure that? So obviously, you know, I'll have the metrics. We'll have the metrics from um, the podcast, uh, the people who are hosting the podcast, that's Podmasters. 
um, and they can give us some indicators about um, uh, the gender of the people who are listening and, you know, the ages of the people who are listening, and they can break it down to the individual episodes. Um, social media is a great, great way of measuring, um, you know, how many people are engaging and the kinds of people that are engaging. So with the Violence Against Women and Girls one, uh, you know, we've we've had engagement on social media from, from the mayor, Tracy Brabin, from the deputy mayor. Um, yeah, uh, the list goes on, really. So yeah. those are just some of the metrics that, that we'll be using to, to measure success. Um, in, a, in a way, this podcast is, 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 is another indicator as well. The fact that you're interested in how we went about this, I think, shows that, you know, it has piqued the interest of lots of different people. Yeah, absolutely. Jim, I'll, I'll come to you. I know you wanted to come in on accessibility and, and maybe how to evaluate too. So, um, yeah, so um, I, I, when talking to people, I am a, 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 a huge fan of analogies. So I, just to point things out. So they because what I want, and, and this is not just in, you know, I want it in the teaching, but actually when you're talking to someone who's not an expert on the subject, for a light bulb moment, those sorts of things. So, you know, things that when you say it to people, they go, oh, oh that's obvious, isn't it? So um, if, if you're pushing a pram at the side of the road, push the pram away from the actual carriageway because the, the you know, babies, the prams are you know, badly designed because they're the same height as exhausts. So if you move them away, that that small distance does reduce the concentration quite significantly. Um, if you're walking at the side of a road, for example, um, think about and it's windy. Think about which side of the road you walk on, because if you walk with the wind at your side and the and the traffic beyond you, downwind of you, that wind's not blowing the pollution at you. And counter to that, so this is getting a little bit more technical. But when you actually explain people, it makes a little bit of sense. The concept of a in a in a busy in a busy city centre where you've got high buildings either side of a, a carriageway. Um, they're referred to as a, a, a street canyon. So if you think about the wind blowing, so which side of the road do you walk on? If you think about the wind, if it's if it's coming from the right hand side and it blows, it will circulate down and it will come down the, the left hand side, if you like, of the street canyon and then blow across the road. And then back up. So you get this circulation. So actually, if you if the wind's blowing from the right hand side, do you want to be on the opposite side of the road because the circulation it doubles back on itself? Yeah. So very difficult to do uh, without some visuals. Mm -hmm. But you know, quite often it's just grab a pen and paper. People go, oh right, you get this sort of eddy eddy forming and things like that. And if if you go to a, a road crossing, you press the button, step back. Because you're suddenly increasing the distance, and it's very simple to do, you know. Step back, you know, and you know the further back you step, on the, you know, you're getting further and further away. People press the button and they stand there impatiently as the traffic just keeps going past, breathing in, you know, a couple of feet uh, away from uh, the source of the pollution. All these sorts of things you say to people, and they go, "Oh, that's, that's, that's quite obvious." And, you know, and if, if people are walking, think about, do you need to walk down a busy road 
because if you can walk across a park or even quieter streets, um, even if it takes you a little bit longer, a couple of minutes extra on your journey, you're getting a bit more exercise. So there's there's a there's a double uh, benefit there. But, you know, avoiding main roads wherever possible. Just those sorts of things. If you can see cars, there's there's pollution there. If it's a quiet street, um, you know, that just just those sorts of quite simple things. So I, I do do like to, you know, not not put you know big challenges in front of people, things that they can do themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think is a uh you know a very useful uh thing to do. Um, and just on the the, the network, um, so the Podmasters team, and I don't know whether Kirsty's aware of this, um, but do you remember uh, Andy Harrison, Jed, when we were students? I do, yes. He was the editor of Lead Student, so he 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 said he's one of the team that set up Podmasters. So I contacted him after that. So it, there's this bizarre circularity uh, to this entire cycle. Uh, that it goes back to a, it's, um, you know, circulates around uh, uh, Leeds, the University of Leeds, strangely, and the year the years that we were there. So, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. if the podcast, if the podcast was a stick of rock, Jed, <laughs> it does, it does, just as Leeds uh, running all the way it through, would have University it? of Leeds running all the way through it because, of course, the presenter, Rich Williams, is uh, yeah. formerly. Um, a student as well. He did. He did um, political science. So, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and the lead absolutely. student office was the, uh, the lead student and the ENTS office, which is the 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 entertainment committee, the music, the people who put on the discos and things like that. Um, we were back to back, so you know we we, we were down uh, by the pool room uh, in the in the union, so we were very close to each other. So because they would always come to a. Uh, come to the concerts and things like that so we worked actually quite closely uh with them and then you know 30 years later we're we're, we're doing this together yeah absolutely i mean it's always been important even from when we were uh undergraduates at the university all those years ago jim that uh that the university really connects with the people around it wherever they are in the world um that's always been important and uh and i think that's demonstrated now with the knowledge equity network in terms of kind of reducing the barriers uh for everybody to access access research information and influence research strategies so you know it's uh um it's definitely been in the lifeblood of the university and, and is one of the reasons i came back uh after leaving um we're 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 just about up to time uh, on our on our interview. Um, so thank you for both for coming on the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, Kirsty. It's been lovely to meet you, and Jim. It's been great to catch up. Um, we've been able to do a bit of reminiscing uh, about our about our student days, as well as talk about the things that are important today. Um, so can I leave you both to say goodbye to our listeners? Kirsty, I'll come to you and you can do your brilliantly um, professional close. Pressure. I'm not sure what that would be, but yeah, thanks so much for, for, for having me on the podcast today, Jed. I, I just you know wanted to finish up by saying what a pleasure it's been actually um, being a part of this series of podcasts and and you know as a great admirer of the work that our researchers are doing before I started this but having sat in on seven of these recordings now my mind has just been blown by the incredible work that's going on 
here at the University of Leeds. And yeah, I just really hope that we can get that out there to as many people as possible um, so that they can be equally impressed and also hopeful because, you know, we are facing some big challenges, aren't we? And um, I think it's good for people to know that there's a lot of work going on to try and find solutions to some of these issues. Brilliant. And Jim, uh, do you want to do a goodbye in a 90s rave style? <laughs> uh, but, but, but possibly not. But uh, I mean, the, um, no, um, no, this has been really, really interesting. Um, and, and all these conversations always make me, you know, think about different, you know, slightly different angles and, and actually doing the podcast um, with James and Kat, um, you know, you're all, you're always learning. Um, I don't, I, you know, we're surrounded by very clever people at the university, but nobody knows everything, despite what they may tell you. Um, and, you know, what, what one big takeaway from me that it hadn't quite, because Kirsty said, so what would be your you know, big message that you want to get across? And uh, it was something that James said, and uh, it's about the MOT in the UK. The MOT really needs updating. Uh, it, it it really doesn't think about how modern cars now function and things like that. So that could that could really because it's a, that's very much out of date uh, these days. And it was interesting that Kirsty actually used the word solution. So um, because of the uh, the the expertise across the university in I'll, I'll say all things air quality, um, uh, James. Uh, is currently James Tate at ITS is currently putting leading uh, a new MSC program that we have uh, building, and I, I'm I'm part of that. As is Kath and uh, a, a wide variety of people, Alison Tomlin in in Scape and Steve Arnold also in Earth and Environment, people in job uh, in chemistry as well, um, and that's going to be called uh, Air Quality Solutions, and so that brings all you know lots and lots of different aspects. Uh, together and we'll be launching that uh, for 2024 so we're all really excited about uh, putting that together and one of the big challenges is the fact that we've got to design these modules and because everything crosses over so much it's very difficult to separate things out into different modules just like this podcast uh, you know we're talking originally about it being two separate ones myself and James and then Kath maybe doing something ventilation fuel poverty but you know we we we're hitting the same barrier that how to put separate things out into different modules when actually they cross over so much. Mm. So, um, but that that that's that's something we haven't actually got another meeting about that uh, next week. But that's I just thought I'd make a plug for that. So you know, advertising that. So that's that's something to keep your eyes out for. Yeah, good bit of sales pitch right at the end. You, you've always been a salesman, Jim. <laughs> um, thanks a lot for for listening, uh, and I hope you found this interesting and, and you can feed this into whatever your conversations are around research culture and trying to have impact with the, with the work you do out there in the rest of the higher education land. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. 
Thanks for listening, and here's to you and your research culture.